you've uh, joined in with me for the last uh, few months, you know that we are working through 1 John, and we're going to take a little detour from that today, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and the spiritual gifts is a topic I love talking about, and that's a little bit of why we're talking about it this morning, uh, but it's also a topic that matters to Scripture. Uh, in fact, there is a lot of ink spent writing about spiritual gifts, and in fact, the longest discourse in the Old and New Testament on the topic of the church is not about sacraments, it's not about church government, it's not about the end times or anything like this, it's actually spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts not only matter to scripture, but they matter to us as a church. And if we want to be a community that is thriving and flourishing and growing up rooted in Christ, for us that means to be a community that is apprehending spiritual gifts in some way. And so we're going to take kind of a 30,000 foot view of spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about what is their purpose. And there's a lot we could say about that, but we're going to try and capture two big ideas here. And one is this, it's that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to form Christ in each one of us. And the other is the purpose of spiritual gifts is to find unlikely relationships. And we're going to think about both these this morning. So let me pray for our time together, and then we'll spend a few moments reflecting on this topic. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the witness it is. Father, we ask that your spirit would incline our hearts and our minds to your word, and that through it we would find ourselves being more deeply converted to your mission in this world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, two big ideas, the purpose of spiritual gifts. And the first is that the, one of the purposes is to see Christ formed in each one of us. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to form Christ in each one of us. And here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Here's our uh, piece. Let all things be done for building up. Uh, Paul is in the middle of a discussion with the church of Corinth, and he's challenging them for being overly interested in the sensational elements of spiritual gifts. And he's telling them that really gifts are all about building other people up. And this phrase, building up, is borrowing from an image in the Old Testament involving the building and construction of both the temple and the tabernacle. And if you're not familiar with what the temple and tabernacle are, uh, they were quite literally and simply just a house that God would live in. God was going to dwell and live with his people through this house that they were going to build him. And because of that, they could have a relationship with him and come and do business with him. And to build this house, they solicited the help of other people who had skills. They were skilled craftsmen, they were called. And some of these craftsmen were people that were metal workers who built hinges and ornaments. Others worked on stone. They quarried stone. They moved it. They crafted it. Others dealt with dyes and fabrics. And all of these different skilled craftsmen were in some way leveraging their skills and forming material to build this house that God would actually live and dwell with them. And what Paul is telling us is that spiritual gifts are patterned after these skilled craftsmen. 
that they borrow from the idea and the concept of the skilled craftsmen. And just as these skilled craftsmen leveraged their gifts to build a temple that God would indwell, we too use our gifts to build up God's temple here on earth. Except there are some important differences. They use skills like metalworking and fabric making. We use the skills and gifts of the spirit. And they work and they chisel on things like fabrics and stone. We work on the living stones. And as we chisel and and, uh, craft and stitch on the souls of the saints, we work to see the image of Christ formed in each one of us. And the ambition of God that his presence would be all in all is more clearly felt through our using our gifts to see Christ formed in each one of us. And what this means is that each one of us is a kind of artisan. An artisan is somebody who's a craftsman who uh, has a special trade that they're really good at. And they're committed to excellence and doing something of a really high quality. And in fact, I live uh, just less than half a block away from a couple artisans. One is a cheesemaker. They are committed to making really delicious blue cheese. Uh, I also live next to somebody who makes uh, custom doors. And they make the most beautiful doors I've ever seen. And people like this are artisans. They're committed to a craft, doing something of excellence. And what this means for us as Christians that have a heritage from spiritual gifts is that we are also a kind of artisan in the church. We're like the cheesemakers. We're like the custom door people in that we're trying to create something of excellence. And the thing of excellence that we're creating is not doors and cheeses. It's not stone and fabrics but it's actually the souls of each one of us. We are committed to drawing out through our craftsmanship the excellence of others in our church. And because there are a variety of gifts, that means there's a variety of artisans in our church community. Uh, Some people are really gifted at encouraging others. They know how to be somebody's cheerleader. Uh, Others are gifted at studying scripture or communicating scripture. Uh, Other people are uh, gifted at kind of getting their pulse on the church and culture. And all these people in different ways are leveraging their gifts to see something commendable produced in the church. Uh, Something of excellence, which is Christ formed in deeper and clearer ways in our church community. And what this means is that each one of us wants to be stuck to a church for the long haul. Uh, To build something of excellence, to build something of high quality, it can't be done overnight, it takes a long time. And if we want to be people who are really producing something of excellence in our community, it means we really need to stick it out with the community. And I find that the older I get, the harder it actually is to sometimes stick it out with the community. And it's nice getting a fresh start sometimes. Uh, it's, it's nice uh, perhaps going to other places that perhaps have a little pizzazz uh, that I'm not used to. And yet, really the challenge for me, the challenge for all of us, is to be people who are committed in deep ways and long ways to a community to see excellence and beauty cultivated. It's a little bit like uh, having an artist who's committed to a masterpiece over a long time. We're each trying to see our church in some way become a sort of masterpiece. This idea of the church being an art piece is something that reminds me of a conversation I had uh, some years ago. Uh, Before I was living in the Northwest, I was uh, in St. Louis as a seminary student, 
And my favorite place to go in St. Louis was a beautiful church building called the St. Louis Cathedral Basilica. And uh, some of you have maybe heard of this. And the Basilica is a beautiful church building uh, the size of a square city block, and it's massive. And you walk around it, and it looks like a giant fortress. And uh, when you walk into the front door, uh, you see these huge uh, rose-colored marble columns uh, that stretch to this huge ceiling. And your eyes beginning to try and adjust to something that you're not used to seeing. And you're, you begin to notice all these little colored tiles that have a little glisten to them, they have a little sheen. And you begin to realize that there are not thousands of tiles, but there are literally millions of tiny little tiles. You're walking on them, they're at your eye level, they're on the ceiling, they're everything. And the Basilica is the largest mosaic in the United States and one of the largest in the world. It's completely beautiful. And I was, uh, had a relationship with the rector there and I was talking with him one day and I said, uh, this is such a huge investment. Uh, why would you spend so much time and so much money investing in something like this? And uh, he responded and he said this. He said that the beauty of the building was only trying to match the beauty of the worshipers. He said the worshipers were so lovely, so exquisite that they had to build a building that could only match their beauty. And this notion of the beauty of the church is something that scripture itself attests to. In the Old Testament, the people of God are compared to beautiful flowers. In the uh, book of Hosea, the church is compared to a beautiful water lily, something that's blossoming, it's fragrant. Uh, in the New Testament, we're compa compared to beautiful jewelry, and we're compared to necklaces and rings and earrings and all these things that actually adorn Christ. And so the lives of the church and the saints are these beautiful uh, accessories on Christ in some way. And it even says that Christ is committed to his bride in a way that's trying to create something beautiful. The church is beautiful in some way. And there is a gospel logic, though, in how we think about this. And the big idea is this. It's we're not loved because we're lovely. Instead, love makes us lovely. I like how Martin Luther, the pastor and theologian, puts it. He says, rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. We don't love because we're beautiful. Our beauty is formed through being loved. And what we do ultimately with our spiritual gifts is we're creating something of excellence in each one of us, something of beauty and when we begin to see that thing take form, when it begins to take shape, what we ultimately realize is actually the beauty of Christ in each one of us that we're seeing. And as we use our spiritual gifts, Christ is in deeper and more acute ways on display in the hearts and lives of believers. Well, we've said that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to see Christ formed in each of us. Here's the other big idea. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to form unlikely relationships. Let me read to you how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12. This is starting in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, behold, I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. If all were single members, where would the body be? What Paul is doing here is he's comparing the church community to a human body. And he's saying that there's body parts, things like eyes and ears and hands and feet. And that uh, in a similar way, the church community, the body of Christ, uh, has its own kind of diversity that you find through spiritual gifts. And so there's people that are prophetic, people that are, uh, have the gift of mercy, encouragement, and so on. And each of these people in some way make a distinctive part of the body of Christ. And what Paul is saying is that just as the body has a kind of harmony and mutual dependence and connectedness, the body of Christ should have something that exists in kind of a similar way. And in many ways, these differences are meant to form relationships that would be altogether unlikely. And what Paul is describing here is not something that is peripheral to his writings or his thinking, but is actually central to the trajectory of Scripture and the larger mission of God. If we want to understand some of the big ideas here, um, we need to open up to some of the beginning stories and images used in Scripture. One of the first stories is the story of Babel, uh, where fallen humanity is building a huge edifice to celebrate themselves and to take away God's glory. And God comes to them and puts a curse on them and uh, disrupts their whole project and he divides them by giving them different languages. And humanity, ever since Babel, has been struggling with a curse where there is a division between people in some way. And you're trying to figure out, how does God fix this? How does God kind of make things right in all this? And you have to turn to really what is the very next story, which is the call of Abraham. And God's solution to all of this is going to gather a special group of people. He's going to be in relationship with people, and he's going to make a name for them. They had tried to establish a name for themselves, and now he's going to give them a name. And this family of Abraham would undo all the effects and all the damage caused by Babel. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, one of the things that we're told is that the gift of the Spirit is actually the fulfillment of all the hopes and anticipations with the family of Abraham. And so all the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled in some way with the gift of the Spirit. And when we go look at the actual story where the Spirit is given in Acts 2, uh, what you have is Christians gathered from all over the Mediterranean, speaking a diversity of languages, uh, having all sorts of backgrounds, and they're there in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden the Spirit is poured out upon them. And what happens right there? What you see is people actually speaking in the languages of each other. What you see is somebody who speaks, say, Syrian, uh, speaking in some Turkish language, let's say. <laughs> and they are being understood by this person. They're talking about the promises of God. And what is happening right there is the undoing of Babel. As God radically breaks into the world through the Spirit, you find that the divisions of Babel are being undone through the Spirit's work. And the most acute expression of the Spirit's work is the spiritual gifts that are being used. And so you have spiritual gifts being used that are connecting people 
who in many different ways don't have backgrounds that would make for natural relationships with each other. <laughs> and what is happening with this is unlikely relationships are being formed through spiritual gifts and through a spirit-empowered community. Paul identifies a couple different ways that this vision is challenged. Uh, one of these ways is through tribalism. Tribalism is basically saying one group matters that more than another group. And uh, to use Paul's metaphor, it'd be kind of like somebody who is a hand, uh, really wishing they could be an eye. And the eyes really being happy that they're not hands. And uh, both these groups uh, don't really have much of a relationship with each other. And tribalism makes some people feel like they're left out, and it makes other people really happy that they're on top. And this is, of course, a, dam a, a challenge to forming relationships with people that would not be natural relationships. And it doesn't have to be necessarily uh, gifts that divide people. It could be temperaments, it could be uh, money, it could be geography, it could be political views. Whatever these differences are, uh, though they all have the same solution. And Paul tells them, wouldn't it be ridiculous if the entire human body were just an eyeball? And he says, if you think eyes are the bee's knees, wouldn't it be ridiculous if you had a human body that was literally only eyes? And I think we're even supposed to kind of ask to imagine that, and it would be bizarre, it'd even be kind of grotesque a little bit, and nobody wants a body full of eyes. And that's what Paul is saying, is that each gift and each member of the body is unique and special. Uh, they're needed no matter what they bring or no matter what place they, they take in the church. And we may be quick to be uh, jealous of other people's gifts or boastful of gifts, but the reminder here is that each gift is needed and the contribution of each gift is always partial. Paul identifies also an opposite challenge to this, and that is individualism. Tribalists think that the community boundaries should be drawn around their little tribe. Individualists think they don't actually need community. There are many ways we can express individualism, there's a bah humbug sort of way. There's a free spirit way. There's the person that knows that they're going to have to give up a lot if they're going to be part of a community. There's all sorts of ways we can be individualists. And in fact, I think that this challenge, this bent, uh, is becoming increasingly common in our world. Uh, we all have, as a larger culture and even ourselves, an increasing bent towards individualism. There are liabilities with this uh, error as well. And the big idea is this is that you can't find your full meaning and purpose in life without being connected to a church community in some way. Uh, our meaning and purpose is found in being tied to a church. And that maybe sounds like a strong statement, maybe it sounds like I'm overstating things, but I think here's how Paul would say, uh, would put it. He would say that an eye as a body part can only have meaning by being connected to the body. Any body part only has some type of identity, some type of significance, if it's connected to the larger body. Another often used metaphor is of a family. We're described as being uh, brothers and sisters. A brother can only have meaning if they have siblings. If a brother is not connected to a family in some way, uh, they actually don't have any, uh, it's not a meaningful notion of being a brother. And a Christian cannot understand their identity and purpose in life without being connected to the church. 
And in some ways, this is an invitation because for many of us, we think that by being in a church, we're going to lose something of ourselves. We're going to lose some identity, some meaning, some purpose. But the promise of scripture is that by being connected to a church, in some way, we actually find ourselves. We find deeper meaning, deeper fulfillment, deeper connection. Well, we've said that a gifted community is, is one that is composed of unlikely relationships, people who are giving something of themselves. And this notion of an unlikely relationship stems from the fact that our relationship with God is, by all accounts, unlikely. The whole history of Scripture is about God giving himself to the world, giving gifts, being artful and masterful in his gift-giving. And the ultimate gift is the gift of himself. And through that, he finds an unlikely relationship with us. And as we behold this and own this, we and ourselves also become masterful and skillful gift givers. And the more we have of Christ, the more, uh, the more we take behold, the more, uh, excuse me, the more we're able to become more artful, skilled craftsmen. Would the Lord give us more of that today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We pray that uh, he would, through your Spirit, continue to instruct us, teach us, and sanctify us to make us more like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.